Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division asunder of soul and spirit and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Before you, we are brought and we have to do with you, Lord. You are the one before whom we stand. We pray that as your word is read and thought about this morning, that, Lord, your spirit will convict our hearts where we need to be convicted, encourage our hearts where we need to be encouraged, strengthen our faith, lead us to understand you and your word more. We look to you in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Skills for Living is the title for the whole book of Proverbs because the word wisdom, which is the main theme of uh, Proverbs, the word wisdom is actually the word skill. And it's skill for living, how to live a life that's wise and that is skillful. And so the Proverbs are nuggets of wisdom. And uh, we have looked at that uh, in our previous two Sundays as we've looked at the introduction to the book and see that their observations, and this is particularly true of today's message, observations of life by wise sages, men who looked at life and in their uh, consideration of how things happen in life, they then come up these pearls of wisdom, these nuggets of wisdom uh, about how to live and what is wise and what is foolish. And of all the topics, pride is foolish and humility is wise. And so today we're looking at pride and humility. We want to see God's warning about pride. And then we're going to look later on the wisdom of humility. So God's warning about pride. Have you driven along the road and there's been a warning sign and sometimes flashing lights and you know, hey, you've got to be careful. Whatever the situation is, you take care because the warning is there. And the Proverbs, in fact, the whole of Scripture is full of the warnings against pride. God warns us that pride is serious and we need to look carefully at the whole situation of life through those eyes. First of all, pride is deceptive. It says in Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. You know, before the bad things happen, oh, we're fine. She's sweet, mate. We're going fine. And we're, we think we're okay. And then suddenly disaster happens and it keeps us aware of just how easily we can be haughty in life. It's easy to be blind to our pride. The thief knows that he's a thief, or she. The adulterer knows that he's an adulterer. But it's not as easy for a proud person to see that they're proud. Pride is like having bad breath. Everyone knows you've got it except for you. I'm not conceited, I've, but I've every reason to be so. 
uh, I read about a minister in New Zealand who had in his congregation a very proud and conceited guy. And everyone knew it but the guy himself. And then one Sunday he thought, prior to that Sunday, I will prepare a sermon about being conceited and proud. And he preached the sermon and it was so obviously pointed at him, at this guy. Everyone was wondering what's going to happen. He didn't stand up and walk out. Anyway, at the end of the service, as his habit was, he went to the door, shook hands with the parishioners and, and the first person got up, came out, was that very guy, the proud guy, came up to the minister. He said, thank you so much for that sermon. It's just what they needed to hear. Of all the sins, pride seems to be the most embedded in the heart of humans. Pride is the mother of all sins. It not only is the source of those sins, it's also the one that compels us to do those things. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes these words, Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride flourishes in every soil. Marg was out yesterday pulling weeds out of our garden out the back. And she loves the garden, so the weeds are, the weeds are a pest. They're a pain. We all know that. But they'll grow anywhere. And pride will grow anywhere no matter what the soil is in your heart and life. There's intellectual pride. Paul warns about knowledge puffs up, he says. Knowledge puffs up. And we have to be careful of intellectual pride, of racial pride. We might think we're superior to another race for no reason except it's pride and no basis for it. Social pride, like Showing off on Facebook. Oh, dear. Oh, that was a convicting thing. Yeah. Um, some can be proud of your wealth. And it's interesting. Talk about various soils. Some can be proud of their poverty. You can be proud of your wardrobe with your designer labels. Or you can be proud of your thongs and T-shirt. You can be proud of being refined and sophisticated and you can be proud of being of your vulgar vulgarity and what goes along with that you can be proud of your education or you can be proud of your lack of education and this whole area of pride that infects our hearts and doesn't matter who we are our circumstances uh, it it is there it's it's just part of who we are as fallen Sinners, it's not absent from Christian living or church life. Spiritual pride. The 12 disciples were arguing on the very day when Jesus was about to go and be crucified, and they were arguing about who would be the greatest or who was the greatest. Paul had a thorn in the flesh given to him by God to keep him, it says, from being conceited over his knowledge and experience with God. 
The Corinthians were proud of their gifts. The Galatians were proud of their legalistic obedience. And so we can go on and on. None of us are exempt from the temptation to be proud. We can be proud that we're orthodox. Or we can be proud that we're liberally minded. We can be proud uh, of our stance on the charismatic gifts, whichever way that is in your life. We can be proud of our stance on creation. We can be proud of our stance on election. We can be proud of our gifts. We can be proud of our abilities, our position and responsibilities in the church and our devotion to God. Oh, I'm proud. Look at me. I'm not that we would ever say that or even to ourselves, but it can so easily be there. Christ's strongest words were to those who were wanting to be seen by men. They were so devoted. Pride is deceptive. Pride seeks honour, but guess what? Pride seeks honour, but it gets shame. It's deceptive. When pride comes, it says in 11.2, then comes disgrace. The prime example of this is Lucifer. You know, of all the angelic beings that God created, the highest of them all was Lucifer. He was the nearest thing to being near to God, although God is infinitely higher than that, but That's where he was in the order of creation. And in Isaiah 14, it's alluded to in these words, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol or hell, to the far reaches of the pit, to the very bottom of the pit. Satan thought, as he was then, the day star and the son of the dawn thought, he would ascend to God's throne and he ended up and will end up at the lowest place and insignificant nothing for all eternity in hell. Compare that with Jesus. On the throne of the universe, the creator of all things, the God Almighty, the Son, who humbled himself, became one of us and was willing to suffer and be scourged and to be spat on and laughed at and rejected by men in order to save us from hell. He became nothing that we might be made sons of God. What a comparison with the evil one. So pride is deceptive, but it's also destructive. 
In, in Proverbs 16, 18, we had read to us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. No sin does more damage in our world. Nothing is more destructive than pride. It's the source. It's the source of the threat of war in Russia and, and Ukraine. It's the source of uh, the threat of war in Taiwan. It's the source of, of breakdowns within marriages and homes and families. It is the source of division within the church. It's the source of division within our nation. Pride. But for pride, Adam and Eve would not have sinned. But the tempter said, you will be like God. Oh, really? Wow. Let's do it. It was a bitter apple. Jesus would never have been crucified had it not been for the pride of the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and all the religious leaders and others who joined them on that occasion. It's not only is it destructive, it's self-destructive. It, it says in 29:23, a man's pride brings him low. My father, who passed away 20 odd years ago, I'm not sure, 1996. And I don't remember many things that he said because I didn't really sit under his preaching much because he was in Brazil as a missionary and, and when I was growing up, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> but I do remember one thing he said. Today's peacocks are tomorrow's feather dusters. Proverbs 18, 12 before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. I heard about this frog. We, we had in, our, in, in Indiana when we lived there, when it was really freezing, we had some ponds out the backyard. And in the winter, like there'd be about that much ice on top of the pond. Uh, and uh, there were frogs in the pond. We had fish too, but they died. And probably the frogs died in the freeze anyway as well. Um, but... This frog, I'm not talking about our experience now, I'm telling you a story just as an illustration. A frog in Indiana was getting colder and colder and it saw some geese flying south for the winter. And it called out to them and the geese came down and said, yes, what do you want? He said, I'm going to die if I stay here in this freezing pond. Please would you take me down south so I'll stay alive. And they said, well, we can't carry you. He said, I've got an idea. Why don't you get this long twig and both of you hold on to it both ends and I'll grasp it with my teeth and you can take off and fly me down south. I said, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So the two geese got this bit of stick and, and the, the frog clamped onto it with his teeth and off they took and they're flying high and flying over and then they came down and flying um, within Kui of people who were um, in the farm. And a farmer looked up and saw them. 
and said, Wow, that's amazing. I wonder who thought about that idea. And the frog said, oh, I did. Pride goes before a fall. Not only is pride deceptive and destructive, it's also detested by God. God hates pride. What sin do you really hate? And we've seen some terrible sins, or we've not seen, but we've been referring to some awful sins, probably the worst sins that the human race can can do is among those that, that is being done in Thailand and other parts of the world with child trafficking and the abuse of that. But there's all sorts of terrible sins. But you know what? In the Bible, God says he hates pride. Of course, that's the source of all those other sins. It says in 16.5, the Lord detests Strong word. Detests all the proud of heart. Everyone who is arrogant of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Abomination to the Lord. Whoa. Proverbs 6.16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. The first one. Haughty. And we'll look at a couple more of them next week when we look at our words. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5, God resists the proud. Why does God hate pride? Because it amounts to idolatrous worship of self. The Hebrew word for the word pride is to be exalted, to be lifted high. So when I exalt myself and lift myself high, I'm putting myself in the place of God. And that's idolatry. God opposes the pretentious, blind pride of humans who would make themselves as God over him. Think about it. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin, it says in 21 verse 4. Haughty eyes, or seeing myself better than I really am. Pride diminishes God and glorifies ourselves. Pride is an attitude of independence from God. It's shown in an attitude of being of thinking of yourself as better than other people. It's shown in a, a person becoming irritated when corrected. Guilty. It shows in a distorted estimate of our own goodness, as Jesus pointed out in Luke 18, where he said, um, he told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, and the Pharisee standing by himself, interesting, but anyway, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this 
tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And don't miss the last verse, the capstone of all that Jesus is saying here. The next verse says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God hates pride. But then we want to look not just at the warning of pride, but the wisdom of humility. A truly humble person is an attractive person. We're warm to them. We, we love them. The foolishness of pride compared with the wisdom of humility. Proverbs 11.2, with humility comes wisdom. The fear of the Lord, it says in 1533. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor and life. So what is humility? Three things. First of all, it's having a true estimate, estimate of yourself before God. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. Proverbs 22, verse 2. That's 22, verse 2. My wife loves twos and 22s and 222s and 2222s and anything with twos in it like that. And you know what? On Tuesday, it's going to be the 22nd of the 2nd of 22. So we're going to have a party. Except I've got to come here to work. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. We're all on the same ground compared with the maker, God. We're not talking here when a true estimate of yourself before God is not talking about self-esteem. People with low self-esteem can be very proud, go out of their way to put themselves forward or, or shrink back into doing nothing, but it's not talking about that. It's talking about having a, a wrong estimate of yourself before God. And it's Romans 12 verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, have a true estimate of yourself. You're not a nobody. You shouldn't have low self-esteem. You should have a high regard for what God has done. He's created you in his image. That gives you value. He sent his son to die for you because he loves you. That gives you value. Have a, a sober estimate. Of your own, of yourself. Um, true humility comes from a conviction that we are totally dependent upon God and we are totally unworthy of his love and grace and his goodness in Christ. 
C.S. Lewis defined humility in this way. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Secondly, true, uh, true estimate not only of yourself before God, but of yourself before others. Andrew Murray read a, uh, wrote a book which I read years ago, and I, again, remember one thing out of that book, and that was this. He said in his book, he showed in his book that our humility before God is revealed in the way we are humble before others. You can't say you're humble before God if you're not humble before others. You can't say you love God if you're not loving others. They go together. A true estimate of yourself before others. Our humility is tested when we're treated less than we think we deserve or are worthy of. And we really are tested. How am I going to respond to that person? My pride rises up and wants to justify myself or show myself to be more than they think we are, I am. When we are not thanked for sacrificial giving and time-consuming help, and we are tested then how we will respond, whether in pride or not, humility. The example, of course, I've mentioned already, the prime example in the New Testament, in the Bible, in the world, in the universe, in, in all time, is Jesus. Born in poverty in a stinky stable, no possessions, no prestige, rejected and despised and then crucified. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. He humbled himself in being in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Hey, that's amazing. Yeah. He wasn't like Satan. Satan trying to grasp equality with God uh, was not his station. But for Jesus, it was. He had equality with God. He did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the context of that is this. Paul is writing to the Christians and saying, in humility, value others above yourselves. In your relationships with one another, have this mindset, which is in Christ Jesus. Have the humble mindset as Jesus did. That's our example to follow. It says here, God mocks proud mockers. Proverbs 3. He mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. And that's quoted twice in the New Testament. He gives grace to the humble. God's grace of his empowerment, his blessing, his, his hand on your life, his answer to your prayers and his, his, his whole um, involvement with you in your, in, your, in your very being and in your life and experience, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists and opposes the prayer. So important that we abide in him, that he may abide in us and bring forth much fruit. And lastly, a true estimate 
not just of ourselves before God or before others, but our true estimate of our abilities. For who makes you different from anyone else? It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes, what do you have that you've not received? So if somebody thanks you for doing something, if you're a kind, merciful person, you help somebody out or you do these things and people say, oh, that's fantastic, you are amazing. And no, God inspired me. It's God's grace in my life. It's not me. You might have a gift in music and singing. You might have a gift in, in technology. You might have a gift in preaching. You might have a gift in sharing and writing and all sorts of stuff. But it is nothing that you have without God giving it to you. He is the source. He is the one to receive the glory. Amen? Pride must die, said Andrew Murray. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven will live in you. I want to finish with two verses from the Old Testament. Isaiah 57, 15. Listen to these words. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. I love that, but also. He doesn't leave his lofty place, but while dwelling there, he also dwells in the heart and makes his home in the heart of those who are humble, contrite, and lowly in spirit. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. May we be people known for one thing, that God is glorified in our lives as we humbly follow him and give him glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we needed to hear this message. I certainly did, and, and we all do. We're all struggling. We all struggle with this issue, Lord, and we know that your grace is sufficient. We pray that as we go from here and through this week ahead, may we consciously seek to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, to humbly walk with you and walk with others and live a life that pleases you. In Jesus' name.